0: Good morning. If you're just joining us, my name is Andrew. I'm the pastor here, and I want to ask you this question What kind of person are you going to be? Because according to Jesus, there's only two sorts of people, which is sort of interesting, maybe. Because it's not between those who know the Bible and those who don't, it's not between the believing and the unbelieving, or the righteous and the unrighteous, or the moral and the immoral. It's a different category. And it's really important because it's going to give you a framework in how you make decisions. What we're going to talk about today is a way of understanding. Should you take the job or refuse it? Marry that person or not? Send your kids to that school or somewhere else? It's a way of providing purpose and f- meaning to all your decisions, and in fact, all of your very life. And in about 25 minutes, I'm going to give you a chance to make a decision to either be a certain sort of person or another one. Let's pray. Lord, take my words this morning and speak through them, take our thoughts and think through them, and then take our hearts, and as a response, light them up with love for you and for our world. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this is what we pray, amen. There's a story that I've been thinking about this week because of the parable I want to read in a few minutes. It's about my dad when he was about 11 or 12, 13 years old in the early adolescence, now, you may know a kid like this, but apparently, when my dad was that age, he's the sort of kid that was just a space cadet. He was out to lunch. He's always off in his own little world. Do you know any kids like that? If you have kids in your house like that, God bless you. Keep up the good work. That was my dad, and my dad was also a preacher's kid. Just like me. My grandfather's a pastor, so was my dad, and now I am. And one of the things that's blessed. In your life, if you grow up as a preacher's kid, as you meet people, you wouldn't meet any other way through the church. And at the time, my dad was an early adolescent. He was living in Northern Virginia, and at that time, even more the case today. If you live in Northern Virginia, you either work for the federal government or you work for a company that does services for the federal government. And there was a guy in their church, which was a well, who was a well-known botanist. And one summer, he was going with the agricultural department overseas, and leaving his well-known gardens and greenhouse in the backyard of his house for two months. And he approached my dad as a 13-year-old kid and said, Hey, will you take care of my gardens for the month? And he had my dad come over to this house and show him what to do. And my dad was off in la-la land, his own little role, and didn't pay attention at all to the directions that were given to him. So then the guy left and it was my dad's first day on the job to take care of the plants. And he realized he hadn't been paying attention he had no idea what to do, so he did something that 14-year-old, 13-year-old boys are prone to do, which was nothing for the first day. He did nothing for the first week. He did nothing for the first month. He did nothing for the whole summer, all the way up until the day before the botanist was going to return. And he walked in into the stifling greenhouse where everything was brown and parched. And he said he pulled up a few dead leaves and threw them out, and that was it. He didn't greet the guy when he came home. And he, my dad said for the next several years, all throughout high school, when he saw that guy walking down the pew in church, he turned around and go the other way. He was so ashamed of his failure to manage the things that had been given to him. And that story's been in my mind this week because I want to talk today about being a manager. Or to use an old-fashioned church word, being a steward. According to what Jesus is going to tell us, each of us has been given things by God, and we are a manager of those things, not the owner. And the question is, what are we doing with what we've been given to manage? Here it is, Matthew chapter 25. It is one of the most famous parables Jesus tells. And like all the parables, if you read it too fast, you miss some powerful stuff. And like all the parables, it is explosive if you let it work in your life. This is a parable, in fact, that is so famous that we have an English word that's derived directly from the parable Jesus tells. This is Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 and following. Jesus is trying to explain to his disciples what the kingdom of God is like. Again, it, that is the kingdom of God, will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, to another one talent, each according to his ability. In the Greek, the word is talent. In some modern translations, it might say like bags of gold or money, but in original, it's a talent, which we'll get to in a little bit. Then he went on his journey. Verse 16, the man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the one who received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. And after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. And the man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five? See, I have gained five more. And his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents? See, I've gained two more. And his master replied in ex- the exact same words, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man. Harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. And his master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. And whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. May God add his richest blessings to the reading and hearing of the word today. Our word talent, in English, comes from this parable. At the time of Jesus, a talent was a weight, it's a unit of measurement, it meant about 75 pounds. But clearly, Jesus is not talking just about literal money. He's talking about a larger sense of gifts, which is why our word talent has derived from this parable. And according to Jesus, there are really only two sorts of people, which maybe sounds interesting because there's three characters in the story. But the two sorts of people are those who take what God has given them and invest it to be used in the kingdom of God, and those who take their one talent and bury it in the ground. Either you're a one talent person, or you're in the other group. There's no other alternative. Which are you? See, according to Jesus, all of us have been given things by God. In fact, what we have is entirely given to us by God. Which might sound strange. You think, "Why? Well, I work hard. I earned what I have. I, I, I made the right decisions. I've been faithful to my family. I've been a good parent." Or good mom or good dad, etc. And Those things are good and God bless you for it. But even the very circumstances of your birth were not determined by you, but by God. And this is why it shouldn't surprise us that it seems like some people are given greater degree of talents and some less. The very fact that you're in this room today means that not a single one of you has had to worry about the clean water you're going to drink, either this morning or this afternoon. You didn't Do that on your own. That was given to you. The circumstances of your birth put you in a place in which we are blessed with that kind of wealth and prosperity. So the question is not what you've been given, but what you do with what you've been given. In fact, it's like this. Jesus says, God gives people things. Some of us have been given families. If you're a mom today, you know that your kids are a gift from God. One of the things you don't learn until you're in a family trying to have your own kids is that children only come when God wills them to come. And children are always a blessing, whether they come biologically or through adoption, they are always a blessing. But one of the sad things in our culture is that a lot of parents take children to be a way for their own emotional needs to be met. Have you ever known this? Maybe you grew up in a family like this and you saw how difficult and destructive it was. See, children are not a a gift from God for you to meet your needs, make you feel better about yourself. Children are a gift from God meant to be invested in the kingdom of God. By definition, an investment grows over time, which means if you're a mom, your primary job is not to care what sorority your kids get in or who they date or what college they go to or any of those things. They may be important at a time. Your primary job is to prepare your kids for service in the kingdom of God. Your primary job is to have your children be able to do things after you're gone that brings greater value for the kingdom. See, 60 years from now, most of us who are parents are not going to be here. But our kids will be, and their kids will be. And the way you're forming your children now will determine how God is able to use them in the future. The most important thing you can do as a parent, as a mom, or as a dad is to shape your kids for God's service in the kingdom. Jesus says there's two sorts of people. Those who take what is given and invest it in the kingdom of God and those who just take it and bury it in the ground. Now let's say you're a dad and and you're blessed with a family and a family is always a blessing. There's lots of single folks in our church who would do anything to be married. If you're married it's a blessing. And there's lots of Dads who say, well, I know my family is a blessing, but what really comes first always is job and work and me. That's a one-talent position. Now, a lot of preacher's kids have the stereotype of being bad kids. You know this? I think it's because they hang out with the parishioner's kids, but that's only my point of view. <laughs> but my dad grew up in a pastor's home, and so did I. And the reason I never turned my back on the church, one primary reason of that, and neither have my brothers, is because my dad never put the church before the family. Isn't that interesting? He was in the ministry, but the ministry was never more important than my brothers and I and my mom. So I never resented it. If your dad and anything is more important in your life than your relationship with your wife and your kids, you're living a one-talent life. Things that God has given you are meant to be invested for service in the kingdom. Now let's say you're single. You don't have a family and you, you want one. God has given you your circumstances where you are right now to be invested in the kingdom. There's a phrase I love. I took it from another preacher. He says, you need to be becoming the person you're looking for is looking for. If you're single this morning and you want to be married, are you making the kind of investments That will produce fruit in the future for the kingdom of God. Right where you are with what you've been given right now. How are you taking the family that has been given to you by God and investing it in the kingdom? There's two sorts of people. Either ones who invest or the ones who bury it in the ground. Now the word talent derives from a sense about money. And, of course, it means more than just the dollars and cents we have in our wallets, but it certainly doesn't mean less than that. Let's talk a little bit about the money that we've been given. God gives each of us a gift, and he says, I want you to use it for value in the kingdom. Now, as soon as you talk about money in church, a lot of people get upset. Although, my experience is the ones who get upset are the ones who don't give money in the church. So, there you go. And one of the reasons is they think, well, there goes this preacher. He's just after my money again. I'd like to address that just for a second. First of all, we don't always talk about money around here. But if we do, we don't apologize for it. Why? One is I would be a terrible leader if I thought my organization wasn't worth supporting financially. Can you imagine what kind of university president or hospital president you would be who said, oh, don't give to my organization. It's not that important. What we're doing doesn't really change lives or matter. Wouldn't be a leader worth following whatsoever. I don't apologize for saying I think that what God is doing in our congregation is worth supporting. But more than that, I'd like to to call your bluff a little bit. If you think that we're just after your money, then I want to challenge you to give to another local church. Don't give us a dime. Take what you're going to give and put it somewhere else. Because I believe what happens in the local church is the best way to make a difference for the kingdom of God. I believe it's great to support hospitals and universities and all kinds of other things. But I think I'd like to call that second-mile giving. First-mile giving is always in your local church. Because let me tell you something. There are certain things that universities and hospitals and camps can't fix. And it's the human heart and soul. Only the gospel can fix those things. And it is the church that has been entrusted with the message of the gospel. The best way to take your literal dollars and cents and make a difference for the kingdom is to support the ministries of your local church. We're coming up on summer. People travel. They're all over the place. If you're not currently giving to the church, and this is your home church, I want to encourage you to go online and go to our website and make a commitment. You can manage it on your own, make a one-time or recurring gift, but it makes a big difference for the ministries of your local church, particularly over the summer when people's attendance goes up and down. But here's the thing. If we don't talk about money in church at one day, I'm going to be held account before God with what I did with what God has given me. And for however long it's going to be the case, God has given you to me in a certain sense as your pastor. And I can't talk about commitment to Christ in all the other areas of your life and not challenge you in commitment to Christ in these areas. If you have money coming in, it's by definition an income. And we have people in our church who are all over the map financially, which is why it's such a blessing to be here. We have all different sorts of people sitting together on the same pew. I don't care if you have a lot or a little. God is saying, whatever I have given you, I want you to use for service in the kingdom. Because there's two sorts of people. Not those who have a lot or a little, but those who take what they have and use it for the kingdom of God, and those who just bury it in the ground. And one day, you're going to have to give an account of how you've been using the money that God has given you. But there's another one. And this is very important. I want to talk a little bit today about how we use our circumstances. I don't believe that God causes all the things that happen to us. But I do believe that God has placed us where we are for such a time as this, for this specific moment in time. And I do believe that there are two sorts of people those who take their circumstances. And allow them to be used for the kingdom of God. To be invested to make a difference in the future. And those who bury them in the ground and complain about them. You notice the first, the one talent person rather. Receives his gift and when he's called to account for it all he's filled with his complaints. I knew you were difficult. I knew you were hard to work for. And that's why I didn't want to do anything with it. Excuse, excuse, excuse. Whereas the five and the two talent people are the ones who immediately take what they have. And begin to put it to work for the kingdom. How are you putting your circumstances to work for the kingdom of God today? This last week, I had to travel to Virginia for a pastor's conference. uh, Continuing education event. And I met with a lot of people that i reminded again just how blessed I am to be in this congregation. Many of the people, the places I was meeting with, serve very poor, very rural little churches. One guy, in fact, is on a two-point charge. That means he has two little churches to serve every Sunday morning. And he asked me, he said, do you plan the music at your church or does somebody else? And I said, well, uh, our music director and I work on it together. He said, well, in my one little church, we don't even have anybody to play the piano. So I'm the one who picks the CDs and pushes play on them each week. There's another lady, small, rural, struggling congregation. And she talked about how she felt God was telling her to lead her congregation to become deeper and more devoted to prayer. And she had just a 20 people or something in her congregation. She wrote their names all down on a card, placed the card in an envelope, put somebody else's name on the outside of the card. And when they came into church that day, there was a table with the card stacked out front, and they each got their envelope. And they opened it up, and there was somebody else's name on it. And she said, your job is to be a prayer partner for that person. And I hear these people's stories, and they, they barely get paid any money. The churches can't keep their lights on and often it's difficult. Mainly older people in these congregations. And I say, Wow. Those are people who are taking their circumstances and being faithful with them and using them for the kingdom of God. And I turn around and look at myself, who is so blessed. How am I using my circumstances for God's glory? Am I just sitting on them and burying them in the ground? See, God is most glorified not necessarily when your circumstances are perfect, but when He is shown to be perfect in your imperfect circumstances. If you're struggling today, And you're dealing with betrayal or brokenness or addiction or bankruptcy or poverty or despair. Those are the times when God can most be glorified. You can take your circumstances and say, even though this isn't perfect, I'm going to allow God to use them anyway. And that is when powerful things happen. You may be here today and the idea of Mother's Day is a difficult day for you for reasons we don't need to go into you can take those circumstances and let them be used by God because you're not the only one in that circumstance. And God delights in speaking words of hope to people who feel hopeless and words of healing to those who feel sick and words of redemption to those who feel lost. And if your circumstances are like mine and in many ways overwhelmingly blessed, God is going to call you and me to a higher standard. I meet people a lot of times, and I think, how dare I ever complain about anything? What are you doing with the circumstances you've been given? There's two sorts of people. Those who take their circumstances and bury them in the ground and complain about them, and those who take them and let God use them for his glory. Which are you? Now, my dad loved the family more than he loved the church, and I'm blessed by it. But there are certain things you get from your parents whether you want to get them or not. There are certain ways you end up behaving whether you want to or not. And I had my own summer job as a 14-year-old kid. And I got it from somebody in the church. And it didn't end real well. My buddy Jonathan and I signed up to go on a mission trip to Russia when we were in, uh, in the ninth grade, 14 years old. And our parents said, okay, you can go, but you've got to raise some of your money on your own. So we got a job with a lady in our church whom I'll call the Bird Lady. Because she had a three-car, high-ceiling garage filled floor-to-ceiling with bird cages. Hundreds of birds. And she hired us for one summer to clean out and care for the birds. Several months into the summer, she left for vacation. And our job was to pull out The food, put new food in and just make sure they're okay. The problem was when you open the cage, the birds sometimes leave when you want them to stay in. And one day we were there and a bird escaped. And we began to panic because it was one of her prized birds. We didn't know what to do. We couldn't get it back in the cage. We ran around the garage trying to flush it back in there. And my friend Jonathan had the good idea of taking a big net. And he played tennis and I guess he had a good overhand. And so I flushed it toward him and he swung. But the bird didn't end up in the net. Listen, I'm not a bird doctor, but I'm telling you the bird was on the ground going like this. Yeah, it was bad. And so we do what you do when you're 14, you have a summer job and you work for the bird lady in your church. We picked up the bird and shoved it right back in the cage. We came back the next day and the bird was no longer moving like that. Yeah, it was curtains for the bird. So we do what you do when you're a 14 year old and it's a hot summer and it's a couple of weeks before the bird lady returns. We took the bird and put it in the freezer. I, I was 14. I don't know. What we didn't do when she came back was tell her what had happened. In fact, I was so overcome by guilt and I couldn't look her in the face. I wrote her a note and apologized and said, Lady, we killed your bird. I'm so sorry. Which might be why at the end of the summer when it was time for us to get paid, and I am not making this up, she paid me $100 in pennies. That is the gospel truth. I had a huge bucket, I took it into the bank and shoved it down on the corner. I don't know how many bank uh, pennies that is, but that's a lot. And here's the thing, the moral of the story is not don't hire my son to care for your pets when you go in a couple of years. (laughs) The point is that when you've been entrusted with managing somebody else's property it is a sacred trust and one day you're held to account for it and you have to give an account of your actions and I've been talking today as if what we really do is take what God gives us and then invest it in the kingdom, I don't think that's really the full picture there's really two sorts of people in the world, those who take the life, their selves that God has given them and say thank you Now I'm Lord of my life, and those who say, Lord, thank you for the gift of myself, I want you to be Lord of my life. We take the family, the money, the circumstances that God has given us, we offer them back over to him to be used for his glory. And the good news is that there is no life, no self that God cannot use, that cannot be invested in the kingdom. Because of the work of Christ on the cross and through the resurrection of Easter Sunday morning, there is no life beyond the redemptive power of God. And the most powerful thing you can do with your life is to take it and say, God, I'm giving it back over to you. I want you to be Lord. I want you to make a decision today. If you're somebody who has never made a decision for Christ, I'd like today to be the day, not tomorrow, today. Say, God, I don't understand all of this. I don't know all of this, but I know I can't do it on my own. I want you to take my life and be Lord of it and use it for your kingdom. Or maybe you're here today and you're like me and you've been walking with the Lord a long time, but there are aspects of your life that you know you've not yet given over to him to control. Maybe it's your finances, your work life, your home life, your married life, your dating life. I don't know what it is. Today is the day, not tomorrow, today. But what you say, God... There's this part of myself I've been holding on to. I want you to be Lord over it. By definition, an investment is something that appreciates over time. There is nothing more valuable and powerful than a human life surrendered over to the Lordship of Christ. He can take that and do far more than what we ask or imagine with it. There's two sorts of people those who take what God has given them and hold on to it and waste it, and those who take what God has given them their very lives and give it back over to him and say, God, use it for the glory of your kingdom. Which one are you? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. I want to do something a little different. We don't do it very often around here when the offering is being collected. I want to encourage anyone who needs you to, to come down and meet me down front at the communion rail for a time of prayer. And maybe this is the first time you're saying yes to the Lord. Maybe you're saying it all over again. I don't know what it is, but I want to offer you that opportunity today to take your life and allow it to be invested in the kingdom of God and used for his glorious purposes. The rest of us, I'd encourage you just to sit still and listen to the words of this great song.